Welcome to North Bay Christ the King. You're listening to our weekly service message podcast. Join us every Sunday morning at 9.30 and 11 o'clock at our campus location in Birch Bay, Washington. Thank you for tuning in. but it will never be enough. Nothing on this earth will be enough. Jesus, that's why you came. And you came into the crevices of our soul to save us, to pull us out of the darkness, to rescue us so that we can find freedom and we can find forgiveness in you. So God, we're grateful for the cross. Jesus, you did that work out of incredible, incredible sacrifice. And Lord, we remember it today. And God, I pray that we would not just have a moment on a Sunday, Lord, but we would have communion with you throughout this week. When we pour that cup of coffee and when we spend some time with other believers in our own family, we would go, oh Lord, you're so good in what you've done for our lives, that you provided a way from the, from the trappings of this world to the freedom that we have in you, Jesus. We're grateful for it. And God, I pray that we'd spread that message. Lord, wherever we go this week, where there is oppression and where there's the trappings of people, that we can help be that person to help them out only because of your power and your grace that you've done in our life, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and let's stand as we wrap up here today. And we're going to sing the that question I want to go back to what if there's something worth the chase some of you know there is but what are you chasing after so many of us in this whole series chasing the wind we're going through the book Ecclesiastes that we're going to unpack chapter 4 here in a moment but what are we chasing after I tell you what you're chasing after if it's if it's not Jesus, if it's not pursuing God's will, it, uh, you, you're, you're going to find yourself disappointed after disappointed after disappointed. But I want to emphasize this morning, you can actually find yourself in a trap. Now, I want to give you just a, a story. And it, I want to warn you, it's a bit creepy. So you ready for a creepy story? How many remember Alfred Hitchcock? Does anybody remember Alfred Hitchcock? Some of us, okay, good. So Alfred Hitchcock, is, there's old black and whites. So there's there was a remake in the 80s of this show, Alfred Hitchcock Presents. But it was an old, it was dun 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 You know, this music comes up, and then Alfred Hitchcock, in his kind of creepy British voice, he goes, good evening, ladies and gentlemen, right? And that's just like, ooh, okay, already. But there were some episodes that I remember. One of them was, I think it was entitled The Coffin. And if you remember this one, there's a couple different versions of it, but the one that I watched was this woman who, I think she was convicted of murder or something like that, but she was in prison. She befriended one of the men that worked at the, at the prison. He was actually the one that would go and dig the graves of the prisoners who died and they bury the prisoners outside in the, the graveyard outside the prison. And what would happen is when the bell, a bell would ring, that was a signaling that someone died in the prison. And so then he would go and, you know, take care of the body and bury it. And, and that sometimes he would, you know, have a service or something. And the priest would come and last rites or whatever it is. And so she befriended this, this man who worked in the prison. And she worked out a deal with him that the next time the bell rings and someone died, she would get in the coffin. And she would get then buried in the coffin in the cemetery and they would have the service and then later on he would unbury her and then she would be free. 
And so you watch in this episode and you see her face in the coffin and she's, she's like, oh, she's getting excited. She's going to be free. This is going to be amazing. It's all great, you know. But time goes on and time goes on and there's this worry look on her face. Like how come she hears the, the dirt, you know, being piled up and everything. And she got now she's hoping that she's not hearing anything and anything. Hours go by. And, and so she's freaking out. Like what's going on? What's happening? Well, she's you know, strikes a match, I guess, in the, in, the, in the coffin, and she looks at the face of who died. Guess who it was? It was the grave digger. Creepy, huh? Really creepy. Like, oh, you know, the thought. And so some of you are like, I'm, I'm claustrophobic. Like, that does not help my condition. Sorry about that. But I want you, as creepy as that story is, I want you to know is that many of us, what we are pursuing and, and going after it can be a trap for us. We can feel at times being buried alive. We don't, we don't want to do that. We, we think what's going to bring us freedom. We think that this is going to provide for us. And you can think over and over of things. Things that you buy. Things that you, 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 you catch yourself for pleasure. And in different ways that we're, you're looking for. It actually can entrap us. And Solomon talks about those things that we're going to look at today. King Solomon, the one that had it all, he owned it all, experienced it all, really, as we've been emphasizing, he calls it meaningless. Nothing from, nothing's beneficial on an eternal level for that. And it has everything to do with the fact that it can lead to a trap. And there's trappings in our life. The question I have is, what traps have you fallen into in your quest for freedom? What are those things? And some of those that we're going to look at here in a moment. But we need to emphasize, whatever the trappings is, it all came back to the first original trap. It all came back to the garden. It all came back to when Satan entered through a serpent and tempted Adam and Eve that sprung the first trap of sin. They bit into that forbidden fruit. And now... For us as well, even to stay, sin is the, is the trap that we keep falling ourselves into. It's, many times it feels like we, we're so trapped that we're, we have no way out. And Solomon emphasizes some of these traps that I want to look at this, mor excuse me, this morning. The first trap is this, is this trap of power. In verse 1, he starts off in chapter 4. He says, again I look and saw all the oppression that was taking place under the sun. I saw the tears of the oppressed, and they have no comforter. Power on the side of their oppressors, and they have no comforter. And I declared that the dead who had already died are happier than the living are still alive. But better than, the, uh, than both is the one who has never been born, who has never seen the evil that is done under the sun. Well, that's Psalm is kind of creepy right there. That's like, no one wants you. Know, wish you were never born. Maybe you said that to your parents, you know, when they made you clean your room. I wish I was never born. But, but the reality is, is there's people in our lives, and in all seriousness, that people have felt this way. And maybe you have felt this way to a certain degree. But all over the world, there's, there's this quest for power. And with someone who has the power, many times is trying to take that power from others who who don't have the power any longer and bring oppression to people. And I don't know, in your, I am sure in your mind, in your heart, that maybe is not what you're trying to do in life. 
But we do have power. We do have control. And how we use it, when it's not controlled and when there's not accountability to it, it brings devastating consequences. And it's all through history and even today. I'm still just amazed and startled and, uh, of the statistics that, that 30 million people live or function as slaves in this world today. Modern day slavery. Think about this. You think of all in the past and, 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 and you know, the African Americans and slavery in our country. You have no idea. Thir- think about this state. 30 million slaves. 20% of those slaves are, are, are workers that, you know, are in bondage to do that, do that work and can't, be, can't leave to do that work. But 80% of those, of those 30 million people are caught up in sex trafficking and sexual exploitation. Many of them, if not most of them, are women and children. I was sick to my stomach when I heard with my friend who shared with me, who does ministry and works in agencies in Cambodia to rescue men and women out of Cambodia and Thailand. As he began to share, he says that it is very, very popular that rich, wealthy Westerners typically businessmen, will go and spend their vacations buying children and doing whatever they want to do with them. Terrible, terrible things. Five dollars a day. And when I heard that, I, I, I was gripped. I remember trying to, I couldn't even have dinner that night. I was so broken about that and hearing as he described what happens to them. And thank goodness for this ministry he's part of. They go in and they, they break up these brothels and they, they actually turn those housings in there. I mean, they go, they go in with guns to rescue these, these men and or these women and children from these, these oppressors. And I thought, man, that's going on in our world. It's wrong. It's injustice. But we, we can't be naive to think that's not happening in our own backyard or even in Whatcom County. I-5 corridor. There is so much from, from Canada to Mexico of this of sex trading that's going on. You, you didn't know it was probably, I didn't know about it until recently. I'm so thankful for Engedi Refuge. It's a ministry that we support financially to help those that need to be rescued. Women who are caught in sexual exploitation who are then brought in a restorative program that that. Some, of, some ladies in our church here are actually volunteering and many are praying and, and we support it financially. There's work happening. But it's also even in our very own backyard. And when it comes to people that live in oppression, that people live in poverty, we, we live in a school district that 50% of our children are in reduced or free lunch program. There's a lot of people that have a lot and there's a lot of people that don't have anything in our community. And so, so I'm grateful that as a church, we're, we're reaching out in our community. We're providing a community, a summer community meal on Wednesday night. And what you know, that's open to anybody that comes. You, you don't have to be, quote, down and out to come to this. This is a meal for people that maybe, maybe you think, oh, I can, I can afford to have my own meal. But maybe you're looking for some friends. Maybe there's an opportunity that you could actually be encouraging some of the people that really are coming for the meal and are coming for some relationship there to do that together on Wednesday evening. See, there's work that we have and it's the work that Jesus called us to do. And it's interesting, Solomon says, he says that to look on the eyes of the oppressed, to look on the eyes of the people and remind us of this. And I think for all of us, we can get caught up in our own day and our own thing and what we're doing, but are we looking in the eyes of people that, that need Jesus? See, that's the heart of the, the gospel. Jesus told us that the heart, he quoted Isaiah. He said this, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's 
He's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of the sight and blind, to set liberty to those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Some people are wondering if the Lord even looking upon them, caring about them. He is. He's, he, he's to do that through us, to reach out to the oppressed. And so in your power that you have this week, think about it. Is it a trap for you? Are you caught up in your power? Or are you willing to relinquish your power like as, as Jesus did? He had all the power in the universe. But what he did, he went to serve the poor and help the oppressed. But there's a trap. There's a trap that comes in power. The other trap that we can find ourselves in is the trap of importance. Look at verse 4. It says, I saw that all the toil and all the achievements sprang, sprang from one person's envy of another. He says, this too is meaningless. A chasing after the wind. I think if we're not careful, if, if the trap of importance is, is important to you, that you can find yourselves trying to get with important people so that you can look important. I don't know if you've ever changed the way you've behaved or done certain things when you're around important people. I know I have. I've adjusted my schedule. I've done things because I'm trying to accommodate. And I thought to myself, what is my motive in doing that? Is my motive that I'm cool, hanging out with the cool kid, the rich kid? And is my motive am I trying to get something from them or notoriety from them? And I think we need to realize, why do we do what we do? Is it about being important? How do you know when you get caught up in looking important, trying to be important, it's hard to keep up. It's hard to act the right way and say the right thing and, and even own the right things. And I've seen so many times for many of us, we've extended ourselves financially to look nicer and dress nicer and to have the nicer things and newer things to show people that we've got it together and really don't. And what the problem is this, it, it, it doesn't lead to any kind of contentment. It, it actually ends up being utter meaningless. It becomes this trap that we're caught into. Another trap that really is connected with this is the, is the trap of comfort. Verse 5, Solomon says, fools fold their hands and ruin themselves. And I think about today, like we don't really use our hands that much. We use our fingers. We click on things and move things around on a mouse. But for our own lives, we need to realize what we have here, if we're not doing anything with it, Solomon actually calls us out. It's laziness. It, all through Proverbs, he, he hits this theme. He says this in verse, uh, verse 4 of Proverbs 10. He says, lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. The cravings, he goes on, of a sluggard will be the death of him because his hands refuse to work. If you don't want to know what a sluggard is, I, I think of a slug. They move pretty slow. They vacillate. They don't make up their minds. They miss opportunities. They look for the easy road in life. And you become a, a sluggard. And this is what he says. is that All day long he craves for more. And when you're trapped in trying to seek after comfort, how many know en enough is never enough? There's always desire for more. And it actually can lead to self-destruction. Now let me give you a, not, I guess it's not a creepy story, but a kind of a graphic story. I am told, I read and heard that back in the day, Eskimos, how they killed wolves, they had a, a unique way they did, a specific way to kill wolves. And so you can picture a village, maybe some igloos, you can picture this camp where they're in, and wolves would come in and become predators and, and very endanger the, the people. And so what they do to kill a wolf is they would take, the, take a knife, a sharp knife, and they would coat it in blood, and they would stick it end up, and it would freeze in the snow. 
And overnight, a wolf would come and smell that blood and start licking that, the, the, the blood off that blade. But over time, what was all the bloods off the blade, that keen edge would then start slicing, I know this is graphic, start slicing the tongue of the wolf. And what happens with the wolf, he's just more and more feverishly excited about the blood that he's getting. And at the end, in the morning, they look out and they see this dead wolf. That's graphic to think about. But that's really the destruction that we are on when we're pursuing the trappings of comfort. In fact, that verse is kind of graphic in, in the English translation. It says, the, the fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. Seeking comfort is such a trap. It leads to self-destruction and it comes with deep, deep regrets. The opposite is what Jesus has called us to. Not to seek for comfort, but to seek on a greater purpose in our lives. When someone came along in Luke 9 and asked Jesus, I want to, he says, I want to follow you, I want to follow you. And, 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 and Jesus kind of gives a gut check to the guy. And he says, listen, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to, to lay his head. What is he saying to him? You have no idea what you're asking me. Because what I'm going to take you, it's not going to be a place of comfort. It's actually, my path is to the cross. But in that, you're going to find that your life counts. And it's the same for us as well. If you're pursuing comfort, you got to know at the end of the day, it's not going to be enough. But when you pursue Jesus, I'm going to tell you, it's not comfortable, but it is adventurous. The more I follow Jesus, I'm finding it's not very boring. It's actually very, very challenging. But I'm starting to see, and over my time, it doesn't mean I'm not looking for comfort. Believe me today, I'm going to be taking a nap this afternoon, okay? I'm going to find time to rest and relax. You got to do that. I'm going on vacation this week. I'm going to do those things. Nothing wrong with that, right? People are gone now. They're on vacation. They'll be coming back. But if our life is all about seeking, seeking, seeking comfort, it will never be enough. And we'll just try to drink in our own blood, and it will tear us terrace apart. Not, let, let's not comfort be our pursuit, but what we need to be pursuing is the urgency of Jesus and where our lives truly can count. Another one though is this, we've got to be careful of this, the trap of success. In our work and what we're doing, we can get caught up in our achievements, chasing success. It's, it's not the way of a sluggard because, oh, that's a lazy person. But Solomon warns us, you still could be a fool. Verse 7, Again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was a man all alone. He had never, neither son nor brother. There was no end of it to his toil. His eyes, get to that scripture, his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom I am toiling, he asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless. A miserable business. It is so easy. I, I think what I find with success is when you get a little bit of success, you can become a little hungry for more success. And again, never is enough, never is enough, never is enough. And what happens, many of you know this, is at the, of what you're seeking after success actually can be the expense of others. I talk to people all the time that they're not, they're not pursuing commitment in relationships and whether being a parent or in their marriage or anything is because they're caught up in what they're doing. In fact, people are in the way of what they're pursuing. And Jesus warns us of this. He says, you could win the whole world, 
and lose your own soul, lose the people that you're around you. So that's a, that's a trap that you and I can find ourselves in because self-focused success leads to loneliness and disconnection and it's a trap for us. Now I want you to think about this. Of these four common traps, power, importance, comfort, success, what trap do you find yourself in today? Which one is it? Which one catches you and pulls you in your weak moments that you're drawn to, your default trap that you go to? Whatever it is, it's, it is a trap toward dis- destruction. It's going to lead you down the dark path that it's hard to escape. And yet Solomon, as he lays out this dreary picture of, of life and this meaningless life, he does give us a little bit of glimmer of hope that I want to read here today. Verse 9 of chapter 4, he says this of how to get out of the trap. He says this, Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two are lying down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. See, we need to understand in our lives, in our selfishness of sin, that again, that's our original trap, is sin. It's selfishness. And in our selfishness, we can be out on our own and do our own thing. But the, when we, what happens, though, when you get to the end of yourself? Right? What happens when you get to the end of yourself? Self can't get you out. Get it? And when you're at the end of yourself and you need rescue and you can't get rescued on your own, you're going to need another. And that's the beautiful picture of the scripture that says two are better than one. I always share this or many times in a wedding ceremony that, that, that the two are better than one, two coming together is a wonderful picture of, of marriage and, and the help and we need each other. And I, I share sometimes that we're, you know, you're, you're side to side need each other, you're, you're, you're back to back or, you know, you're, to, you're together facing each other. There, there's something powerful of togetherness, but it's not just in marriages, but it's in the church. Look around you. You don't have to be alone. The, the body of Christ, the family of God, this is who we are helping one another, encouraging one another, that we need each other. My hope and my prayer that that church does not become a lonely place for people. But it's a choice we have to make. Will I engage in in community? And that's your your call. It's your choice. How far do you want to get involved with, with people? It's a risk to do that, to pursue relationship. Let me give you a warning as you do that. The more you get to know people, you realize they're not as normal as you thought they were. And you're not either, are they? It's messy. It's, it's difficult. There's misunderstandings and miscommunications. But I really encourage you, don't give up on one another. In pursuit of community. Once in a while, you'll see a sign walking up these stairs. There's no perfect people are allowed. There's no perfect people allowed in the church because there isn't perfect people. Only Jesus is. And what he's done, he's designed this place for us to, to work together and encourage each other. And as much as I love this church, as much as I love our, our small group that my wife and I are part of, as much as I love, I can do communion with our, our staff and, and, and there's so much going on that we do. I realize this, that I'm not enough and one another is not enough. There's someone that we're, we're gonna need to help us beyond ourselves, to get us out of the hole, to unbury us, to, to rescue us from our ourselves or need help. It's interesting as I, I thought of this story the other day and it was a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a news event that happened 
And, and I looked it up and I'm like, oh my goodness, it's actually a year ago today, June 23rd, 2018. You might remember this happening is there was a soccer team in Thailand. They got trapped. The 12 players and the coach, youth soccer team, were exploring some caves off the coast of Thailand and they got caught in a, a monsoon rain came in. And it trapped them to, for them to escape. And they were in these caves for nine days. It took a couple days to find them. And they, they located them. Some scuba divers found them. And then there was this huge plan to rescue this team. And the boys were, some of them didn't really know even how to swim. And were like, what do they do? And I, and I didn't know this until I looked at the article this week. That they ended up tranquilizing the kids. They actually laid them out, put them to sleep, and then put them on a stretcher. And then the scuba divers, you know, put them through this channel to get them up to, up to the surface. And I thought, my goodness, that's the picture of, of what our lives, of us getting trapped and us realizing within ourselves huh, that we're trapped, that we can't find help to to, to get out. And it reminded me of the Lord always, always. He does provide a way out. I love what it says in 1 Corinthians. It talks about temptation, but we can apply it to even the trials in our life. It says this, no temptation is overtaking you except what is common to mankind. And listen, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he also will provide a way out so you can endure it. God always provides a way. And the way out that you and I need is, is out of our sin cave. It's out of our sin coffin. It's out of where we're lies. And you want to, want to help me and I want to help you, but guess what? We're not going to get out together. We need a third party. And, I, and, and you're wondering, where do we get the hope beyond ourselves? Well, I don't know if you've heard of hope, uh, soap on a rope, but I'm going to call it hope on a rope. And it's the last verse in, that we're going to look at today in verse 12. This is what Solomon says. You know, two are better, one, one rescue. But what do we do? Well, he says this, a cord of three strands is not easily broken. What is it saying? You by yourself ain't going to cut it. You're trapped. You and I, good try. But we're, if, when we're talking about living in the sinful world, we're both needing some help. But then there lies Jesus wrapped with us. Three strands are not easily broken. I bet we probably could be held up by a parachute with those three strands. Jesus is the one to come to our rescue. He's our third strand to rescue us when we're buried, when we're in the cave and we're alone. But know this, it doesn't come without sacrifice. As Shane comes and our team now is getting ready, we're going to have a moment of communion here as they get ready for that I want to remind us as we look at Christ's sacrifice, I want to take us to that story back, that news that took place exactly a year ago. See, as those boys are rescued by those scuba divers, it didn't come without a cost. There was one life that was lost. It was actually the life of a, a Thai SEAL um, soldier, the, the scuba diver. He was trying to get oxygen tanks to the, to the team, and he lost his own life. When the coach got out and he was rescued he, in the press conference, he says, we are impressed by this man's sacrifice, his life to save us so that we could go on and live our lives. I love that. That we could go on and live our lives. And that's, a, that's what Jesus did for us. 
that Jesus provided a way out of the dark, sinful crevices of the caves of our own soul to rescue us. Listen, in your trappings and what you've gone through, you can't get out of it. You and I together, as much as we can help each other, when we're both in the hole and we're both in the coffin in the same moment, we can't help each other. But Jesus came. He came because of his love that came down to rescue us and to find a way. That's what communion's all about. It's symbolically remembering what Christ has done for us. It's a, it's a reminder of his faithfulness in our lives. And so, in a moment here, ushers are going to pass you the communion representing Christ's body and blood and the, and the cracker and the juice that you'll receive today. I encourage you to hold them. If you're new with us or you're, you're like, I had never really done communion, we encourage you, if you're a follower of Jesus, please, we practice open communion. Participate with us. If you're going, I'm not really sure with, our faith, with your faith, that's okay, let it pass you by. We've all been there before and we're not sure. But this is an opportunity as it's passed to you to receive it. And as you do, you know, your person next to you is gonna hand it to you. And I love the symbolicness of that. As they hand you the tray and you receive from it, you're helping one and encouraging one another, pointing people to Jesus and what he has done for you. So hold them and then we'll participate together. Let's sing this together.
As we do it ongoing, you know, we have a schedule, we do it once a month, but it reminds me so much. And that's the point of it. It's a point of it taking some time and, and our busyness. And I think that's the trappingness of, of trappings of life is busy. Ask people how they're doing. I'm busy. And we get caught up in the busyness. And it's such a trap to miss the opportunity, moments like this holy moments that we have as we gather. I'm, I'm glad that Paul and the, the apostle, he emphasizes a sacrament of the church to take and eat the body and blood of uh, a, a symbol of, the, of Christ's body and blood for us, that what he did for us to remember because we forget so easily. The reminded that it was love that came down that rescued us. So as we take a moment here and participate, I want you just to begin, to, as you have made me, think about that trapping. What is it that's hanging you up? To say, Lord, I want to be freed from that. I want your, I want your forgiveness that you provided in the cross. So I don't have to pursue, and I don't have to go down the dark, dark path and to the place of, of, of death and destruction in my life. I can find hope. I can find the light at the end of the tunnel to rescue me because of what you did. And that's what, what Jesus was sharing with him, with the, his disciples that last night, that he is the way, that he is the truth, that he is the life, that there's a pathway toward freedom that isn't going to come by obeying a bunch of rules. As much as the Mosaic law and everything was important to be a good, good Jewish person, that wasn't going to be enough. He said there's a new way they provided he took the bread, the, the show bread that represents the, the, of the substance, the manna, the life that God has, has given mankind, and he broke it, symbolizing, saying, for us to have life, that Jesus says, I must be broken, my body be broken and be put to death so you can have life, that there's a way toward life through me. As a reminder, he says, eat in remembrance of me. Let's do that together. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for that work. He took the, the cup later on in the supper and he held it up and he talked about a new agreement. He talked about how there's an, there's an old covenant and there's a new covenant. And the new covenant that Jesus expresses to his disciples is love. But the pathway to love has to be through forgiveness. And Christ provided that forgiveness through his shed blood for us. He says, your sins can be forgiven because of my shed blood. Drink in remembrance of me for that. Let's do that together. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Let's pray together. Mm. Oh, Lord, the sweetness of who you are, the work that you did already for us. The love came down and it rescued us rescued our souls, rescued us to the point of need when we thought we were 
beside ourselves, which we were. We, we had no way. We were at the end of this ourselves. We were at the end of our rope. And even when we reached out to the people around us to try to help us, they were encouragement. But they're in the same boat, Lord. All of us are in the same place. We, we, we can try to muster up enough courage, enough help, enough resources, but it will never be enough. Nothing on this earth will be enough. Jesus, that's why you came. And you came into the crevices of our soul to save us, to pull us out of the darkness, to rescue us so that we can find freedom and we can find forgiveness in you. So God, we're grateful for the cross. Jesus, you did that work out of incredible, incredible sacrifice. And Lord, we remember it today. And God, I pray that we would not just have a moment on a Sunday, Lord, but we would have communion with you throughout this week. When we pour that cup of coffee and when we spend some time with other believers in our own family, we would go, oh Lord, you're so good in what you've done for our lives, that you provided a way from the, from the trappings of this world to the freedom that we have in you, Jesus. We're grateful for it. And God, I pray that we'd spread that message. Lord, wherever we go this week, where there is oppression and where there's the trappings of people, that we can help be that person to help them out only because of your power and your grace that you've done in our life, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and let's stand as we wrap up here today. And we're going to sing the that question I want to go back to. What if there's something worth the chase? Some of you know there is. But what are you chasing after? So many of us in this whole series, Chasing the Wind, we're going through the book of Ecclesiastes that we're going to unpack chapter four here in a moment. But what are we chasing after? I tell you, what you're chasing after, if it's, if it's not Jesus, if it's not pursuing God's will, it, it, you, you're, you're going to find yourself disappointed after disappointed after disappointed. But I want to emphasize this morning, you can actually find yourself in a trap. Now, I want to give you just a, a story, and it, I want to warn you, it's a bit creepy. So you ready for a creepy story? How many remember Alfred Hitchcock? Does anybody remember Alfred Hitchcock? Some of us, okay, good. So Alfred Hitchcock, is, there's old black and white, so there's, there was a remake in the 80s of this show, Alfred Hitchcock Presents, but it was an old, it was dun 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 you know, this music comes up, and then Alfred Hitchcock, in his kind of creepy British voice, he goes, good evening, ladies and gentlemen, right? And that's just like, ooh, okay, already. But there were some episodes that I remember. One of them was, I think it was entitled The Coffin. And if you remember this one, there's a couple different versions of it, but the one that I watched was this woman who, I think she was convicted of murder or something like that, but she was in prison. She befriended one of the men that worked at the, at the prison. He was actually the one that would go and dig the graves of the prisoners who died and they bury the prisoners outside in the, the graveyard outside the prison. And what would happen is when the bell, a bell would ring, that was a signaling that someone died in the prison. And so then he would go and, you know, take care of the body and bury it. And, and that sometimes he would, you know, have a service or something. And the priest would come and last rites or whatever it is. And so she befriended this, this man who worked in the prison. And she worked out a deal with him that the next time the bell rings and someone died, she would get in the coffin. And she would get then buried in the coffin in the cemetery and they would have the service and then later on he would unbury her and then she would be free. 
And so you watch in this episode and you see her face in the coffin and she's, she's like, oh, she's getting excited. She's going to be free. This is going to be amazing. It's all great, you know. But time goes on and time goes on and there's this worry look on her face. Like how come she hears the, the dirt, you know, being piled up and everything. And she got now she's hoping that she's not hearing anything and anything. Hours go by. And, and so she's freaking out. Like what's going on? What's happening? Well, she's you know, strikes a match, I guess, in the, in, the, in the coffin, and she looks at the face of who died. Guess who it was? It was the grave digger. Creepy, huh? Really creepy. Like, ah! You know, the thought, and so some of you are like, I'm, I'm claustrophobic. Like, that does not help my condition. Sorry about that. But I want you, as creepy as that story is, I want you to know is that many of us, what we are pursuing and, and going after it can be a trap for us. We can feel at times being buried alive. We don't, we don't want to do that. We, we think what's going to bring us freedom. We think that this is going to provide for us. And you can think over and over of things. Things that you buy. Things that you, 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 you catch yourself for pleasure. And in different ways that we're, you're looking for it actually can entrap us. And Solomon talks about those things that we're going to look at today. King Solomon, the one that had it all, he owned it all, experienced it all, really, as we've been emphasizing, he calls it meaningless. Nothing from, nothing's beneficial on an eternal level for that. And it has everything to do with the fact that it can lead to a trap. And there's trappings in our life. The question I have is, what traps have you fallen into in your quest for freedom? What are those things? And some of those that we're going to look at here in a moment. But we need to emphasize, whatever the trappings is, it all came back to the first original trap. It all came back to the garden. It all came back to when Satan entered through a serpent and tempted Adam and Eve that sprung the first trap of sin. They bit into that forbidden fruit. And now... For us as well, even this day, sin is the, is the trap that we keep falling ourselves into. It's, many times it feels like we, we're so trapped that we're, we have no way out. And Solomon emphasizes some of these traps that I want to look at this, mor excuse me, this morning. The first trap is this, is this trap of power. In verse 1, he starts off in chapter 4. He says, again I look and saw all the oppression that was taking place under the sun. I saw the tears of the oppressed, and they have no comforter. Power on the side of their oppressors, and they have no comforter. And I declared that the dead who had already died are happier than the living are still alive. But better than, the, uh, than both is the one who has never been born, who has never seen the evil that is done under the sun. Well, that's Psalm is kind of creepy right there. That's like, no one wants you. Know, wish you were never born. Maybe you said that to your parents, you know, when they made you clean your room. I wish I was never born. But, but the reality is, is there's people in our lives, and in all seriousness, that people have felt this way. And maybe you have felt this way to a certain degree. But all over the world, there's, there's this quest for power. And with someone who has the power, many times is trying to take that power from others who who don't have the power any longer and bring oppression to people. And I don't know, in your, I am sure in your mind, in your heart, that maybe is not what you're trying to do in life. 
But we do have power. We do have control. And how we use it, when it's not controlled and when there's not accountability to it, it brings devastating consequences. And it's all through history and even today. I'm still just amazed and startled and, uh, of the statistics that, that 30 million people live or function as slaves in this world today. Modern day slavery. Think about this. You think of all in the past and, 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 and you know, the African Americans and slavery in our country. You have no idea. Thir- think about this state. 30 million slaves. 20% of those slaves are, are, are workers that, you know, are in bondage to do that, do that work and can't, be, can't leave to do that work. But 80% of those, of those 30 million people are caught up in sex trafficking and sexual exploitation. Many of them, if not most of them, are women and children. I was sick to my stomach when I heard with my friend who shared with me, who does ministry and works in agencies in Cambodia to rescue men and women out of Cambodia and Thailand. As he began to share, he says that it is very, very popular that rich, wealthy Westerners typically businessmen, will go and spend their vacations buying children and doing whatever they want to do with them. Terrible, terrible things. Five dollars a day. And when I heard that, I, I, I was gripped. I remember trying to, I couldn't even have dinner that night. I was so broken about that and hearing as he described what happens to them. And thank goodness for this ministry he's part of. They go in and they, they break up these brothels and they, they actually turn those housings in there. I mean, they go, they go in with guns to rescue these, these men and or these women and children from these, these oppressors. And I thought, man, that's going on in our world. That's wrong. It's injustice. But we, we can't be naive to think that's not happening in our own backyard or even in Whatcom County. I-5 corridor. There is so much from, from Canada to Mexico of this, of sex trading that's going on. You, you didn't know it was probably, I didn't know about until recently. I'm so thankful for Engeti Refuge. It's a ministry that we support financially to help those that need to be rescued. Women who are caught in sexual exploitation who are then brought in a restorative program that, that, some, of, some ladies in our church here are actually volunteering and many are praying and, and we support it financially. There's work happening. But it's also even in our very own backyard. And when it comes to people that live in oppression, that people live in poverty, we, we live in a school district that 50% of our children are in reduced or free lunch program. There's a lot of people that have a lot and there's a lot of people that don't have anything in our community. And so, so I'm grateful that as a church, we're, we're reaching out in our community. We're providing a community, a summer community meal on Wednesday night. And what you know, that's open to anybody that comes. You, you don't have to be, quote, down and out to come to this. This is a meal for people that maybe, maybe you think, oh, I can, I can afford to have my own meal. But maybe you're looking for some friends. Maybe there's an opportunity that you could actually be encouraged with some of the people that really are coming for the meal and are coming for some relationship there to do that together on Wednesday evening. See, there's work that we have and it's the work that Jesus called us to do. And it's interesting, Solomon says, he says that to look on the eyes of the oppressed, to look on the eyes of the people and remind us of this. And I think for all of us, we can get caught up in our own day and our own thing and what we're doing, but are we looking in the eyes of people that, that need Jesus? See, that's the heart of the, the gospel. Jesus told us that the heart, he quoted Isaiah. He said this, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's 
He's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of the sight and blind, to set liberty to those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Some people are wondering if the Lord even looking upon them, caring about them. He is. He's, he, he's to do that through us, to reach out to the oppressed. And so in your power that you have this week, think about it. Is it a trap for you? Are you caught up in your power? Or are you willing to relinquish your power like as, as Jesus did? He had all the power in the universe. But what did he do? He went to serve the poor and help the oppressed. But there's a trap. There's a trap that comes in power. The other trap that we can find ourselves in is the trap of importance. Look at verse 4. It says, I saw that all the toil and all the achievements sprang, sprang from one person's envy of another. He says, this too is meaningless. A chasing after the wind. I think if we're not careful, if, if the trap of importance is, is important to you, that you can find yourselves trying to get with important people so that you can look important. I don't know if you've ever changed the way you've behaved or done certain things when you're around important people. I know I have. I've adjusted my schedule. I've done things because I'm trying to accommodate. And I thought to myself, what is my motive in doing that? Is my motive that I'm cool, hanging out with the cool kid, the rich kid? And is my motive and I'm trying to get something from them or notoriety from them? And I think we need to realize, why do we do what we do? Is it about being important? How do you know when you get caught up in looking important, trying to be important, it's hard to keep up. It's hard to act the right way and say the right thing and, and even own the right things. And I've seen too many times for many of us, we've extended ourselves financially to look nicer and dress nicer and to have the nicer things and newer things to show people that we've got it together and really don't. And what the problem is this, it, it, it doesn't lead to any kind of contentment. It, it actually ends up being utter meaningless. It becomes this trap that we're caught into. Another trap that really is connected with this is the, is the trap of comfort. Verse 5, Solomon says, fools fold their hands and ruin themselves. And I think about today, like, we don't really use our hands that much. We use our fingers. We click on things and move things around on a mouse. But for our own lives, we need to realize what we have here, if we're not doing anything with it, Solomon actually calls us out. It's laziness. It, all through Proverbs, he, he hits this theme. He says this in verse, uh, verse 4 of Proverbs 10. He says, lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. The cravings, he goes on, of a sluggard will be the death of him because his hands refuse to work. If you don't want to know what a sluggard is, I, I think of a slug. They move pretty slow. They vacillate. They don't make up their minds. They miss opportunities. They look for the easy road in life. And you become a, a sluggard. And this is what he says. is that All day long he craves for more. And when you're trapped in trying to seek after comfort, how many know en enough is never enough? There's always desire for more. And it actually can lead to self-destruction. Now let me give you a, not, I guess it's not a creepy story, but a kind of a graphic story. I am told, I read and heard that back in the day, Eskimos, how they killed wolves, they had a, a unique way they did, a specific way to kill wolves. And so you can picture a village, maybe some igloos, you can picture this camp where they're in, and wolves would come in and become predators and, and very endanger the, the people. And so what they do to kill a wolf is they would take, the, take a knife, a sharp knife, and they would coat it in blood, and they would stick it end up, and it would freeze in the snow. 
And overnight, a wolf would come and smell that blood and start licking that, the, the, the blood off that blade. But over time, what was all the bloods off the blade, that keen edge would then start slicing, I know this is graphic, start slicing the tongue of the wolf. And what happens with the wolf, he's just more and more feverishly excited about the blood that he's getting. And at the end, in the morning, they look out and they see this dead wolf. That's graphic to think about. But that's really the destruction that we are on when we're pursuing the trappings of comfort. In fact, that verse is kind of graphic in, in, the, in the English translation. It says, the, the fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. Seeking comfort is such a trap. It leads to self-destruction and it comes with deep, deep regrets. The opposite is what Jesus has called us to. Not to seek for comfort, but to seek on a greater purpose in our lives. When someone came along in Luke 9 and asked Jesus, I wanna, he says, I want to follow you, I want to follow you. And, 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 and Jesus kind of gives a gut check to the guy. And he says, listen, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to, to lay his head. What is he saying to him? You have no idea what you're asking me. Because where I'm going to take you, it's not going to be a place of comfort. It's actually, my path is to the cross. But in that, you're going to find that your life counts. And it's the same for us as well. If you're pursuing comfort, you got to know at the end of the day, it's not going to be enough. But when you pursue Jesus, I'm going to tell you, it's not comfortable, but it is adventurous. The more I follow Jesus, I'm finding it's not very boring. It's actually very, very challenging. But I'm starting to see, and over my time, it doesn't mean I'm not looking for comfort. Believe me today, I'm going to be taking a nap this afternoon, okay? I'm going to find time to rest and relax. You got to do that. I'm going on vacation this week. I'm going to do those things. Nothing wrong with that, right? People are gone now. They're on vacation. They'll be coming back. But if our life is all about seeking, seeking, seeking comfort, it will never be enough. And we'll just try to drink in our own blood, and it will tear us terrace apart. Not, let, let's not comfort be our pursuit, but what we need to be pursuing is the urgency of Jesus and where our lives truly can count. Another one though is this, we got to be careful of this, the trap of success. In our work and what we're doing, we can get caught up in our achievements, chasing success. It's, it's not the way of a sluggard because, oh, that's a lazy person. But Solomon warns us, you still could be a fool. Verse 7, Again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was a man all alone. He had never, neither son nor brother. There was no end of it to his toil. His eyes, get to that scripture, his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom I am toiling, he asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless. A miserable business. It is so easy. I, I think what I find with success is when you get a little bit of success, you can become a little hungry for more success. And again, never is enough, never is enough, never is enough. And what happens, many of you know this, is at the, of what you're seeking after success actually can be the expense of others. I talk to people all the time that they're not, they're not pursuing commitment in relationships and whether being a parent or in their marriage or anything is because they're caught up in what they're doing. In fact, people are in the way of what they're pursuing. And Jesus warns us of this. He says, you could win the whole world and lose your own soul, lose the people 
that you're around you. So that's a, that's a trap that you and I can find ourselves in because self-focused success leads to loneliness and disconnection and it's a trap for us. Now I want you to think about this. Of these four common traps, power, importance, comfort, success, what trap do you find yourself in today? Which one is it? Which one catches you and pulls you in your weak moments that you're drawn to, your default trap that you go to? Whatever it is, it's, it is a trap toward dis- destruction. It's going to lead you down the dark path that it's hard to escape. And yet Solomon, as he lays out this dreary picture of, of life and this meaningless life, he does give us a little bit of glimmer of hope that I want to read here today. Verse 9 of chapter 4, he says this, of how to get out of the trap. He says this, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two are lying down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. See, we need to understand in our lives, in our selfishness of sin, that again, that's the original trap, is sin. It's selfishness. And in our selfishness, we can be out on our own and do our own thing. But the, when, what happens, though, when you get to the end of yourself? Right? What happens when you get to the end of yourself? Self can't get you out. Get it? And when you're at the end of yourself and you need rescue and you can't get rescued on your own, you're going to need another. And that's the beautiful picture of the scripture that says two are better than one. I always share this or many times in a wedding ceremony that, that, that the two are better than one, two coming together is a wonderful picture of, of marriage and, and the help and we need each other. And I, I share sometimes that we're, you know, you're, you're side to side need each other, you're, you're, you're back to back or, you know, you're, to, you're together facing each other. There, there's something powerful of togetherness, but it's not just in marriages, but it's in the church. Look around you. You don't have to be alone. The, the body of Christ, the family of God, this is who we are helping one another, encouraging one another, that we need each other. My hope and my prayer that that church does not become a lonely place for people. But it's a choice we have to make. Will I engage in in community? And that's your your call. It's your choice. How far do you want to get involved with, with people? It's a risk to do that, to pursue relationship. Let me give you a warning as you do that. The more you get to know people, you realize they're not as normal as you thought they were. And you're not either, are they? It's messy. It's, it's difficult. There's misunderstandings and miscommunications. But I really encourage you, don't give up on one another. In pursuit of community. Once in a while, you'll see a sign walking up these stairs. There's no perfect people are allowed. There's no perfect people allowed in the church because there isn't perfect people. Only Jesus is. And what he's done, he's designed this place for us to, to work together and encourage each other. And as much as I love this church, as much as I love our, our small group that my wife and I are a part of, as much as I love, I can do community with our, our staff and, and, and there's so much going on that we do. I realize this, that I'm not enough and one another is not enough. There's someone that we're, we're gonna need to help us beyond ourselves, to get us out of the hole, to unbury us, to, to rescue us from our ourselves or need help. It's interesting as I, I thought of this story the other day and it was a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a news event that happened and, and I looked it up and I'm like, oh my goodness, it's actually a year ago today. 
June 23rd, 2018. You might remember this happening is there was a soccer team in Thailand. They got trapped. The 12 players and the coach, youth soccer team, were exploring some caves off the coast of Thailand and they got caught in a, a monsoon rain came in. And it trapped them to, for them to escape. And they were in these caves for nine days. It took a couple days to find them. And they, they located them. Some scuba divers found them. And then there was this huge plan to rescue this team. And the boys were, some of them didn't really know even how to swim. And were like, what do they do? And I, and I didn't know this until I looked at the article this week. That they ended up tranquilizing the kids. They actually laid them out, put them to sleep, and then put them on a stretcher. And then the scuba divers, you know, put them through this channel to get them up to, up to the surface. And I thought, my goodness, that's the picture of, of what our lives, of us getting trapped and us realizing within ourselves huh, that we're trapped, that we can't find help to to, to get out. And it reminded me of the Lord always, always. He does provide a way out. I love what it says in 1 Corinthians. It talks about temptation, but we can apply it to even the trials in our life. It says this, no temptation is overtaking you except what is common to mankind. And listen, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he also will provide a way out so you can endure it. God always provides a way. And the way out that you and I need is, is out of our sin cave. It's out of our sin coffin. It's out of where we're lies. And you want to, want to help me and I want to help you, but guess what? We're not going to get out together. We need a third party. And, I, and, and you're wondering, where do we get the hope beyond ourselves? Well, I don't know if you've heard of hope, uh, soap on a rope, but I'm going to call it hope on a rope. And it's the last verse in, that we're going to look at today in verse 12. This is what Solomon says. You know, two are better, one, one rescue. But what do we do? Well, he says this, a cord of three strands is not easily broken. What is it saying? You by yourself ain't going to cut it. You're trapped. You and I, good try. But we're, if, when we're talking about living in the sinful world, we're both needing some help. But then there lies Jesus wrapped with us. Three strands are not easily broken. I bet we probably could be held up by a parachute with those three strands. Jesus is the one to come to our rescue. He's our third strand to rescue us when we're buried, when we're in the cave and we're alone. But know this, it doesn't come without sacrifice. As Shane comes and our team now is getting ready, we're going to have a moment of communion here as they get ready for that I want to remind us as we look at Christ's sacrifice, I want to take us to that story back, that news that took place exactly a year ago. See, as those boys are rescued by those scuba divers, it didn't come without a cost. There was one life that was lost. It was actually the life of a, a Thai SEAL um, soldier, the, the scuba diver. He was trying to get oxygen tanks to the, to the team, and he lost his own life. When the coach got out and he was rescued he, in the press conference, he says, we are impressed by this man's sacrifice, his life to save us so that we could go on and live our lives. I love that. That we could go on and live our lives. And that's, a, that's what Jesus did for us. That Jesus provided a way out of the dark, 
sinful crevices of the caves of our own soul to rescue us. Listen, in your trappings and what you've gone through, you can't get out of it. You and I together, as much as we can help each other, when we're both in the hole and we're both in the coffin in the same moment, we can't help each other. But Jesus came. He came because of his love that came down to rescue us and to find a way. That's what communion's all about. It's symbolically remembering what Christ has done for us. It's a, it's a reminder of his faithfulness in our lives. And so, in a moment here, ushers are going to pass you the communion representing Christ's body and blood and the, and the cracker and the juice that you'll receive today. I encourage you to hold them. If you're new with us or you're, you're like, I had never really done communion, we encourage you, if you're a follower of Jesus, please, we practice open communion, participate with us. If you're going, I'm not really sure with, our faith, with your faith, that's okay, let it pass you by. We've all been there before and we're not sure, but this is an opportunity as it's passed to you to receive it. And as you do, you know, your person next to you is gonna hand it to you. And I love the symbolicness of that. As they hand you the tray and you receive from it, you're helping one and encouraging one another, pointing people to Jesus and what he has done for you. So hold them and then we'll participate together. Let's sing this together. I love communion as we do it ongoing. You know, we have a schedule. We do it once a month, but it reminds me so much. And that's the point of it. It's a point of it taking some time and our busyness and I think that's the trappingness of, of trappings of life is busy ask people how they're doing I'm busy and we get caught up in the busyness and it's such a trap to miss the opportunity moments like this holy moments that we have as we gather I'm, I'm glad that Paul and the, the apostle he emphasizes a sacrament of the church to take and eat the body and blood of a symbol of, the, of Christ's body and blood for us, that what he did for us to remember because we forget so easily. The reminder that it was love that came down, that rescued us. So as we take a moment here and participate, I want you just to begin, to, as you have made me, think about that trapping. What is it that's hanging you up? To say, Lord, I want to be freed from that. I want your, I want your forgiveness that you provided in the cross. So I don't have to pursue, and I don't have to, have to go down the dark, dark path and to the place of, of, of death and destruction in my life. I can find hope. I can find the light at the end of the tunnel to rescue me because of what you did. And that's what, what Jesus was sharing with him, with the, his disciples that last night, that he is the way that he is the truth, that he is the life, that there's a pathway toward freedom that isn't going to come by obeying a bunch of rules as much as the Mosaic law and everything was important to be a good, good Jewish person that wasn't going to be enough. He said there's a new way they provided. He took the bread, the, the show bread that represents the, the, of the substance, the manna, the life that God has given mankind and he broke it, symbolizing, saying, for us to have life, that Jesus says, I must be broken. My body be broken and be put to death so you can have life, that there's a way toward life through me. As a reminder, he says, eat in remembrance of me. Let's do that together. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for that work. He took the, the cup, 
later on in the supper and he held it up and he talked about a new agreement. He talked about how there's an, there's an old covenant and there's a new covenant. And the new covenant Jesus expresses to his disciples is love. But the pathway to love has to be through forgiveness. And Christ provided that forgiveness through his shed blood for us. And he says, your sins can be forgiven because of my shed blood. Drink in remembrance of me for that. Let's do that together. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Let's pray together. Mm. Oh, Lord, the sweetness of who you are, the work that you did already for us. The love came down and it rescued us, rescued our souls, rescued us to the point of need when we thought we were beside ourselves, which we were. We, we had no way. We were at the end of this ourselves. We were at the end of our rope. And even when we reached out to the people around us to try to help us, they were encouragement, but they were in the same boat, Lord. All of us are in the same place. We, we, we can try to muster up enough courage, enough help, enough resources, but it will never be enough. Nothing on this earth will be enough. Jesus, that's why you came. And you came into the crevices of our soul to save us, to pull us out of the darkness, to rescue us so that we can find freedom and we can find forgiveness in you. So God, we're grateful for the cross. Jesus, you did that work out of incredible, incredible sacrifice. And Lord, we remember it today. And God, I pray that we would not just have a moment on a Sunday, Lord, but we would have communion with you throughout this week. When we pour that cup of coffee and when we spend some time with other believers in our own family, we would go, oh Lord, you're so good in what you've done for our lives, that you provided a way from the, from the trappings of this world to the freedom that we have in you, Jesus. We're grateful for it. And God, I pray that we'd spread that message. Lord, wherever we go this week where there is oppression and where there's the trappings of people, that we can help be that person to Help them out only because of your power and your grace that you've done in our life, we pray in Jesus' name.